Hey, business owners, need help taking payments online? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through payment accepting, customer connecting, real-time reporting, round-the-clock supporting, fraud detecting or business protecting. <gasps> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To get started, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. What happens if you get a scam message pretending to be from your bank within the same text conversation you were already having with your bank? Will it refund you? Who's to blame? How does your bank rate, for that matter, when it comes to keeping your everyday transactions safe and reliable? And what are the larger cybersecurity challenges we're now facing? Well, our guest today on the show is Paul Swift, Bank of Ireland's Head of Technology, Media and Telecoms Sector. Paul, how does a scammer get inside your text message exchange? It basically, I suppose it, it's very much about actually people clicking really on smishing texts, really, Adrian. Mm. Uh, what happens is obviously scammers have actually gotten access to people's numbers. They issue a text and then somebody sadly clicks on that. And that essentially then opens up the opportunity for the action to, to engage further in. Mm. OK, but I mean, I'm thinking of situations like I'm a customer of a bank, the Bank of Ireland, and I will see a text message from a smisher get right into my existing conversation with the bank. How does that happen? Unfortunately, what that's actually what's happened in the past data is where numbers, where in, in other situations where data essentially has been stolen, that's essentially where people have actually their names and their numbers have actually been come into kind of into the hands of those uh, scammers. I mean, I think before that like you were saying it's now gone down in price to about forty euros for the name of a kind of a person and stuff, and that's what and these are traded in the dark web as they call it, and then that's how they get the names and the numbers. So, but how do they actually get into the conversation? So, let's say I'm a Bank of Ireland customer, and I get some you know normal alerts and there's various things and identity and all that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden one Monday or I see a message saying you know some problem, and it's in my actual legitimate pre-existing conversation with say. Bank of Ireland. People sometimes can't get their head around how that can happen. They understand how somebody would get a phone number and text them out of the blue, but they can't understand how it gets into the text message conversation. In other words, apparently from the same number that Bank of Ireland, say, uses. Again, that's very much down to fraudulent in terms of software and, and uh, where scammers essentially are actually ripping off essentially the numbers that actually yeah. what they do is they clone them through their own terms of uh, so basically to accessing networks and actually getting into networks and then cloning the numbers and then using it. And that's, I mean, I've gotten one myself recently. I got mm. a number of what was, um, it came into me a text. And when I went back and looked at it, it was actually a, a company in Limerick, basically. It was a dental company or a clinic in Limerick. And basically, so they're actually after infiltrating the system and that's how they issue it. Yeah, it, it's been described to me before as a problem with SMS as opposed to things like WhatsApp or iMessage, that the SMS system is old and it's creaky and it's much easier to hack into in that way and to spoof a number. Does that sound right? Well, that's well, that's kind of, that's. I, I wasn't sure that that's where you were going with it. But yeah, that's, there, is, there is issues in terms of actually where some of the kind of the background or the back end capability in Ireland with regard to SMS wouldn't be as, dare I say, as kind of mature or as, uh, as up to date as, as other systems. And when you see that happening or when a bank like Bank of Ireland sees that happening and customers start giving out yards about it and they're asking, how on earth did somebody hack hack into 
as they yeah. see it, Bank of Ireland's mobile number. What kind of response? What can you tell them? Well, I think first and foremost, the bank, obviously, you know, a lot of the time, there's issues with regard to customers themselves, sadly, have actually touched or, sorry, clicked into these links. And the key thing really here for the bank is the bank always says, like, we'll never, ever send you a text a phone or an email in terms of looking for you to actually, you know, present your, you're looking for specific kind of personal information or like even to disclose your PIN or your passcode mm. number. So the key, I suppose, the key thing here for customers really is to understand that you won't get a contact from the bank from that point of view. So it's really kind of to step back when this happens. Yeah, but you see what I'm saying? If I'm getting a text message in my Bank of Ireland text message conversation, to me, that is from the bank. Do you know? I get, I get that. But I think the key thing really, this is really then about awareness, what the bank have been doing, Adrian. We've been very much going out, you know, very, I suppose, proactively saying it. I mean, with the ma- massive campaign last year with, with Baz was doing it, uh, the bank itself was putting up on various channels. We've done various campaigns in actually telling customers that, like, if this does happen, it's not coming from the bank. I take your point. I mean, there is, and that's sadly in terms of actually where, um, I suppose it's happened with customers where they might see the number is mimicked from a kind of an authentic source. But the reality of it is the first thing we'd be saying is the bank don't send these out in the first instance. And that's why we've been very much at pains to kind of stress that to mm-hmm. customers that that's not, you know, if it come from us, then it's not, it's not actually, it isn't actually coming from the bank. Yeah. You can see the confusion there, I suppose. No, I get it. I understand that. I the, just before we move on from banks sending you emails or texts, it, does strike me that I will get emails particular from banks with live links. Now, it might be something like a survey or something else. It may not be, you know, verify your account information, but I'm still getting emails from banks, including including Bank of Ireland, uh, with live email links to click through. And as a customer, if I'm if I'm not that sophisticated and I can't differentiate between what links you're supposed to click and what links you're not you're not supposed to click. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? You might have elderly customers, not to pick on the elderly, but elderly customers, and they, they're told not to click on links in communications, and yet they're still getting emails from a bank, like Bank of Ireland, Purportedly. with clickable links. No, no, no. Legitimate survey. Like, right. how, do you, how do you rate our services, for example? I get that from, you know, from Bank of Ireland. A couple of, I, I have accounts with a couple of banks, but I do get it from Bank of Ireland as well. And I do sometimes wonder whether there's a, a communications issue where the, a bank will say, don't click on links because it won't be from us, but click on this link, even though it is from us, you know. But I think that's very much in the context of actually where the bank is sending it out. We'll, it'll be specifically in, in relation to a marketing campaign. But I mean, a lot yeah. in here, I think, Adrian, is a lot of the, the links that are coming. The most suspect ones generally would be looking for something, a call to action. It'd be playing mm-hmm. on emotion in terms of actually where these the, the suspect ones would be coming and actually looking for somebody in terms of it could be uh, looking for an urgent response and that the bank wouldn't ask. And I think that's the key here. It's it, We wouldn't be sending links with the kind of stuff that same information that would typically come from yeah, yeah. I, I think in general, most of us are getting more savvy as to what looks like a scam message or scam email or not. But there still are um, a few bits that could be worked on there. One of the points that you have been making is pointing to a, a Grant Thornton report, and you pointed to a large rise in the number of phishing complaints. And I think that Grant Thornton report also said, like many other reports, 12 million euro lost to debit and credit card fraud by Irish consumers in the first half of 2020 to two years ago given what we're just chatting about now um if there is 
fraud and losses from that source. Will banks still cover those losses who get caught by uh, of customers who get caught by by scammers in general, or is it I a think nuanced? The key here really, I think the key here really, Adrian, is speed is of the essence. In the event that actually customers are actually caught, sadly, in this situation, the important thing really is for the customers to make as aware of it as possible, you know, as fast as possible. Mm. And the bank will do absolutely everything it can then to protect the customers. We won't always be able to recover all of it, but we'll do our very best, provided, but you know, that we're made aware of it as soon as possible. Does it depend on what kind of fraud it is? Like there's social engineering fraud, for example. Like I might get an email <clears throat> claiming to be from a Nigerian prince. Now, I think most of us know at this point that that's an obvious scam. Um, so if I click on that, is there a difference in how the bank might regard me in terms of possibly recompensing, recompensing me um, compared to, for example, like a clever CEO fraud or business email compromise fraud? Will there be a difference? I think the key here, as I've already said, Adrian, really, is that speed is of the essence insofar as that once we're made aware of it, the bank will do absolutely everything to act on it immediately. Yeah, yeah. But in general, can I rely that sometimes in some certain types of fraud, if I'm scammed, I will actually be recompensed by the bank? Again, as I've already said, speed is the key, really, in terms of us to actually do it, to be able to act on it and do the very best we can. So if I'm speedy enough, I might be recompensed. Again, this is in the in the con and then in the context of us, you're actually what I'm just saying to you is like for us, it's very much about the speed because the bank, the best of the world, will do everything to kind of very much to kind of support its customers in this kind of a situation. Yeah, I just, just anecdotally, it used to be the case that usually a bank would in the early days of scams, and I'm just wondering if that's evolved since then, or or has the bank started to, t to take a a general approach that no, you should know a little bit more. At this stage. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for us, certainly, the, the kind of key for us really is very much about speed in terms of being able to deal with this in the event of an insurance. And just in terms of Bank of Ireland itself, it, with the fraud figures, is, is it up or down? With regard to? Scams, frauds. Well, it's generally, I mean, just I, I'm just talking in general terms that, that there has actually been, I suppose, uh, uh, right across the board with regard to kind of frauds. In, I mean, the guards would have said scams would have gone by about 440% in the first six months of last year. There is, I, I can't, I, it's, in terms of more up appropriate or sorry, up to date data isn't available. But like in, again, Grant Thornton would say in terms of report, it's gone up by 50%. So in general, I would say, you know, we're seeing that there is, uh, that there is an, ex, an increase. Yeah. Is this a sensitive area for, for I'm getting sort of a general vibe from you. This is, this is a kind of a, a thing that banks aren't really that comfortable talking about in terms, for example, of whether they recompense customers who are caught by scams. Again, in terms of recompensing like decisions in regard, like I'm just saying to you, in, in, from the bank's point of view, or at least in terms of actually speed, being, being able to deal with it in terms of speed, but, you know, certainly... Um, it'd be the overall, I suppose, decision on that wouldn't be at mind to make it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I maybe maybe you'd be concerned about like setting a precedent that if, if, if an executive says, yeah, we do recompense for this kind of fraud, but not for that kind of fraud, that maybe your door is knocked down by, you know, people saying, well, you know, I got caught out by this and I didn't get my money back. Um, Again, I'm not saying I've said about setting a precedent. I'm just, you know, as I've already said, speed in terms of being able to uh, being made aware of it, speed is of the essence. Yeah. Okay. If we do a word count uh, uh, for this podcast, the word speed is going to come up yeah. quite a lot. Um, okay. Look, before we go into some some of the macro uh, issues, just a gen another general point about technology uh, and banks. I think a lot of people in Ireland would consider that the banks as a sector are quite cautious in adopting new technology. 
Um, like Apple Pay would have been a big one. There would have been varying degrees of speed, uh, your word, in, in terms of adopting mobile payments. In Bank of Ireland's uh, case, for example, there's there's no tablet app. Isn't that right? Say again, sorry? There's no tablet app. There's no there's no iPad app. Well, uh, well, we're actually working very much in terms of that, the iPhone, uh, sorry, the app mm. that we've been dealing with, actually. We've been, in, I suppose, working very hard on that. It was, I suppose, a recognition in terms of developing the app that there was probably a body of work to do. We're yeah. constantly rolling out uh, new features. We've just done so in recent times, and I suppose we're very vigorously working on that, and the team are working that as for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I, rolling, new features be rolled out, of course, next, over the course of this year. Okay, well, that's good to hear. I mean, I, I use an iPad Pro quite a lot. And whenever I go on to my online banking, I have to turn the thing up, you know, sideways and, and sort of like click on it that way. I can't use the keyboard. Um, and also, and it's not this is not just Bank of Ireland. In general, banks, they have very, very low scores in the app scores in the app store. Like I think Bank of Ireland's is 1.7 out of 5 for, for the mobile app. Other banks, AIB isn't much better. It's 1.6 for its tablet app. I think it's 3 out of 5 for its mobile app. Why? What's the problem in general with user experience? Like, why? Why is it? Why is it such a challenge? In respect, I came on here actually to be fair to speak about cybersecurity today, and in terms of the digital side of things, I'm not directly involved in the digital side of the bank. So, if you want, I can certainly arrange for some of the digital kind of guys, but uh, to come on and talk to you about that. Okay. But sorry, okay. From that point uh, of view, you know. Oh no, I was just wondering if you had a view, if you had a view on it. You, you've been around, yeah, like, you know. Yeah. You've been around long enough. You, you you might if we were chatting about this. You might you might have a view in it. Do you know? Yeah, I'm just Maybe. saying that, that. Like, if you want to speak to the digital guys, more than happy to arrange for for you to speak with them. Okay. Look, let's move on to more macro cybersecurity um, issues. Um, what's your assessment of how we're doing in Ireland as a country in general on cybersecurity? Um, PwC has uh, presented or published a report, the Digital Trust Report, and would say that we're we're lagging really slightly behind globally. I think it's something like globally in terms of preparation, etc. I think it's 40 40 percent. We're at thirty six, so we're lagging slightly in a number of different areas. And while businesses would recognise, again in that report, uh, they speak of actually recognising the report. I think only twenty six percent are saying something that they're actually that they're actually ready for or are they're prepared for. You know, in terms of uh, mm. making provision. Like. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the obviously the focus point last year was the cyber attack on the HSE, and there was a flurry of interest and activity in what we could do better as a country. Um, soon after that, there was a review into you know the country's capability, particularly into the Niber, the National Cybersecurity Center. Out of which there were recommendations that we're going to have more staff for that body. They also uh, doubled the salary. Um, for the director of that position, that has just been filled. But I think a lot of us had the sense that we just didn't take as a country cybersecurity uh, seriously. Do, what do you think of that? I mean, I think it's evolving threat. And I think people are certainly from a, a from talking to customers, I would see they're definitely taking more seriously. I think the, the key thing really is the big thing, I suppose, with cybersecurity is that it is 95% of these are actually human. It's down to human error. Mm. And I think fundamentally, it's very much about, in terms of organizational-wide or even in industry, I think it's very much about articulating in businesses and otherwise, you know, education, training, and I suppose looking at it from a cultural point of view. And it's very much about focusing that cybersecurity is everybody's problem in a, in, in, right across the board. Uh, but I'm, I suppose I'm talking very much from the, from the business that I would speak to. Mm. that everybody takes responsibility for it and that 
it's amplified, I suppose, in, in, across organisations that everybody should be aware of the potential risks. And in that regard, kind of increasing the awareness and building out plans within businesses to make sure, I suppose, to prevent, to do as much as you possibly can to prevent an attack taking place. I mean, but all the evidence uh, up to certainly up to six months ago would have suggested that we don't take cybersecurity seriously. People do not think that it is uh, that they are a part of the issue. I mean, I mentioned the National Cybersecurity uh, Centre. They doubled the uh, director salary from 89,000 to I think 185,000. But the fact that they were advertising that role for, you know, a year, year and a half at that salary suggested that there wasn't really an awareness of, you know, what the professional norms were in the industry of protecting the country and what they needed to pay for that. The fact they only had 25 staff, I know they're moving up to 45 and, and then 70. But even more broadly across organizations, I don't get the sense that after the disaster we had with the HSE last year, I don't get any massive urgency uh, you know, sense in terms of you know, uh, any widespread programs uh, for improving cybersecurity. Now, you might, you might tell me differently, though, because I know you've been speaking a bit about this to different organizations. When you say programs, what do you mean by programs? I mean, for example, budgets. Well, I mean, there expertise. is a, well, well, I suppose there is a body for expertise. Well, I think the globally, it is recognised that there isn't enough cybersecurity professionals. No, but I, I, I mean, in Ireland, I mean, because yeah. like if you look at the the cybersecurity rankings in terms of countries, I mean, the UK is up at number one or two. France is always high. The US is high. Israel's high. Ireland's like fifty second or something between Tunisia and Algeria or something. Like we're well, kind of pathetic. <laughs> I wouldn't say pathetic. I think businesses, I would, from what I can see, there's there's a recent a, re, a recent study made, and seventy percent of businesses are looking to increase their budgets with regard yeah. to cybersecurity in the coming year. I think it was I think it was Biologic Harrison with IBM or something. So there are there is a recognition. I think coming back to what I said to you about the 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 Power, uh, PwC report, same thing again. There was a recognition. I take your point as far as you know. There was sixty. I think sixty two percent were saying that there was actually expecting that ransomware or sorry attacks to, to take place next year and a similar amount about ransom attacks so there is a recognition and i think very much now it's about businesses really putting into action with regard to making sure that they've they've i suppose robust controls mm -hmm. where they possibly can in place so that that fact that there's people looking the business are looking to invest i think the, the recognition is certainly there now if it wasn't before and in terms of collective responsibility and a new sense of of taking responsibility take ransomware which you just identified as one of the big threats, which mm. every cybersecurity professional I talk to says the same thing. When a ransomware attack hits a company, sometimes it will be a sophisticated attack. Other times it's a very crude piece of social uh, engineering. Yeah. I don't think we've settled in our own minds yet what the responsibility is, say, for example, for the person who lets that ransomware attack into the organization. Is there a settled idea? Like, and what I mean by that, is, you know, is that person responsible? Do they get disciplined? Or is it considered to be, well, that could happen to any staff and that's not the way to treat this? Is there a settled idea or an evolving idea of how we should treat a question like that? Of, For example, who lets the ransomware into the company? Well, I, th I think we all agree, Adrian, that everybody is potentially a, a victim. Are we, you know, you can, you can, put in place the policies you can put in place all the kind of we say culture and training and all those kind of things but there's 
when it comes down to 95% of these happen through human error, people will make mistakes. So that's the first thing, people make mistakes. I think the other part of it, part of the underreporting in some cases of these, and I think it, 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 in, in, in some organisations we reported, the person maybe who's responsible hasn't because for fear of losing their jobs, and then the businesses themselves too are worried about actually going public. So it's, it is recognised that as cyber attacks are massively underreported, very much on the basis of the reputational damage that could, you know, could it be an existential threat to a business. So there is a worry in that kind of, in that context as well. But I, I, I mean, for a kind of a generalised answer to say that somebody, I think mistakes happen. I think the key thing when it does happen, I think it takes courage for the person who might have found that actually when they've clicked on that link, that they're actually there the first one. Because again, it comes down to the quicker people actually react to when this happens, you can shut down systems and you can, I suppose, very much about being able to kind of, uh, to contain it, I suppose, really. So, but I, mm. I, I wouldn't be looking for scapegoating. I think people actually, um, I think it happens in terms of people make mistakes. Yeah, sure. And that's a constructive way of looking at it. It just seems to me that sometimes there's never any downside to letting ransomware in, into the company. You're ne- you'll never be at fault oh, in, I think, in Ireland. I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. I think, sadly, there are businesses that are have you know, business that we don't even know about that have gone out of business. Or are, are oh, oh the business collapses. But yeah. me, as the person who let the ransomware in, I'll never be disciplined for it. Well, I, I can't comment on that in terms of individuals and whether they get disciplined or not. I think fundamentally it's about the culture that you bring into a business. I think, as I said earlier, I think the key for me is is imbuing a culture in a business that actually is very much about, uh, you know, amplifying the kind of the dangers with it. Uh, I suppose throw, having a plan with regard to in the event of a case happening and for uh, happening, and that comes back back to the the training and development piece. And I think then the culture of actually that I wouldn't even say about quoting part of the culture is, is about being able to kind of holding your hand up immediately and mm. not facing censure like, that's far more important because I think that way that would encourage more people to report it and uh, you potentially actually can curtail it and, and uh, avoid really kind of devastating risks that come with it. Yeah, no, and look, it's a fair point and it's a constructive one uh, you're making just as sometimes occur to me that we can have all the budget we want for all the systems and all the fancy equipment we want but if there's actually no culture of being on guard against uh, you know, something like ransomware, then it's it's going to be harder, you know, to to address the issue. Um, you mentioned ransomware, though. I mean, there are other more sophisticated and arguably more difficult to fend uh, off against threats, things like business email compromise and CO fraud. I've seen some incredibly sophisticated uh, examples of those. I don't think they attract the same uh, type of um, of error. It's a it's a it, it, you, you could barely even call it an error when somebody is masquerading successfully as the CEO of a company using the type of language they use, using the type of uh, maybe their, their signature, etc. Um, how big a threat do you think those type of uh, cybersecurity threats are, the likes of business email, compromise, and CEO fraud? Oh, huge. I, I actually would have had a situation of a, a company I knew myself and the owner of the business CEO uh was at a conference in the US and at the time used the public Wi-Fi. Uh, it was essentially breached and they sat on essentially the network for weeks watching in terms of the engagement that was going on uh, and actually in terms of the, the, the kind of type of 
context in terms of the type of uh, content of the emails between the CFO and the CEO and then try to actually slot in a kind of band with regard to kind of like a 150, 200,000 or something. Uh, and it was just, I think it was a C, from what recollection, it was a CFO, I think in the end, noticed something, just something that clicked and they kind of stopped it just in time. But I think it's part of even the protocols, I would say, the culture, the plan that you do for this is that it's almost, it's having robust systems in place is actually almost like no different than what we would say is to stop before you kind of answer the text or you click on a message. Similarly, having the kind of mechanisms, almost like a kind of an authentication, if you will, of a pay system. So that there's a kind of a double, there's a kind of a approval when there is payments going out. So it's sadly, it's it's the world we're in in terms of these things happening. It, it We have to see a more heightened awareness among businesses in order to kind of deal with this. Not to be high, high, you know, hyper-vigilant, but I think certainly heightened awareness. So that if you put in those kind of frameworks in, in between, it just means it's a double kind of, a, a double check, if you will, um, before kind of big payments like that are made out. And lastly, what's the level of cooperation like between Bank of Ireland, say, and the National Cyber Crime Bureau or police investigating issues. How closely do you end up sometimes working with authorities? I personally haven't expo- exposure to it, Adrian. So, I, to be fair, I couldn't comment on it. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, I, I know colleagues of mine in group security because we've worked mm. on webinars and stuff together would engage with the, the bureau regularly. But um, as to kind of the frequency or otherwise, I don't know. They, they would certainly be in contact as part of the bank and payments, etc. But I wouldn't have specific involvement or uh, um, to be able to comment on it really. Okay, and and very fine. I mean, you were the head of technology, media, and, and telecom sector for uh, Bank of Ireland. Um, what can we expect to see over the next year or so from the bank in terms of uh, what it is planning? Well, the bank is already, I suppose, from a, from a cybersecurity point of view, we've obviously launched the, the, the strong customer authentication that came out later part of last year. Over the last few weeks, we've, we've rolled out new opportunities with regards to the app in terms of actually being, uh, being able to kind of freeze your card, etc., or, or in, you know, and look at your pin and various other things. And uh, so there's kind of we're, we're rolling out new features all the time. And there's plans, very exciting plans in terms of other features being coming out later in the year. I am not at liberty to speak about it, obviously, but certainly I would say watch the space. We're definitely there's a job we've worked on and we're certainly catching in terms of actually what we're rolling out. So there's big opportunities coming ahead. Okay, Paul Swift, Bank of Ireland's Head of Technology, Media and Telecom Sector. Thank you very much for uh, joining the podcast today. And from me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. That's all we have time for this week. And we will talk to you same time next week. Bye bye.